If you like audiobooks or audio shows, check out a free trial of Audible. Just click the link in the description. This is Mindshock True Crime. You are listening to the Stephen Avery series. This is episode 14, The Rev 4 Part 2. Because there is still more to uncover regarding the mysterious finding of the Toyota RAV4, which may or may not have been Teresa Hallbacks, and the RAV4 at the crime lab, which may or may not have been the same RAV4 found on the Avery Salvage Yard, which may or may not have been Teresa Hallbacks' RAV4, which was not there in the aerial footage from the helicopter in the flyover on the previous day. So, once again, plenty of weirdness to uncover in this mind-boggling case. I'm your host, Bruce McGuire. And Maxwell Powers. And Johnny Mills. And if you like the podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Just check the link in the description. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. And depending on what kind of device you have, make sure you have your settings to allow those notifications. If you're not logged into YouTube or whatnot, some people do not get notifications. If you like the podcast, you can hit the like button. Feel free to share it across social media platforms like our Facebook page. You can also check us out, Twitter, Reddit, Patreon. And if you become a patron, you do get to request cases, and they will be covered in a timely fashion as we have an ever-expanding list of cases to cover that have been requested. As always, we go over everything in a logical and comprehensive fashion. Instead of just assuming and taking things on blind faith, which is how cases remain unsolved and the truth remains hidden. So, what do you guys think about this RAV4? Based on everything we went over with the tampered VIN plate, with the colors not matching, possibly photoshopped images of the RAV4 and Hallback, Hallback's family and friends saying it was dark green until she goes missing and then all of a sudden people are saying it might have been blue. But before the fact, everyone's dead set on dark green. Nobody's saying blue. So is that kind of weird how all of a sudden she has to go missing for the color to become ambiguous? That is really weird. I don't know why the, the colors are all different. Like whether it's pictures or people's description before and after. Like that just doesn't make any sense. Like if I know my car is red, it's red. It's not pink. It's purple. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> strange to me because you were right. Like when you were looking up colors of the vehicle like teal can come up as green or blue yeah that's fine but what doesn't make sense so there's all these different lights so all our family and friends nobody ever saw the everybody that saw the car whether it was nighttime daytime whether it was a well-lit area not well lit nobody's saying it ever looked blue until after she goes missing that just doesn't yeah. make sense. Maxwell, what do you does that make sense to you? Like forget what forget about the photographs. Cause yeah, it could look different in photographs, but how come nobody's saying it ever looked bluish? Everybody said dark green, not even greenish. See, if they had said greenish, that's a little better. Everyone said dark green. That doesn't make sense. Uh, they're probably all colorblind to blue or something. Every single one of them, but then they're not after she goes missing. There's something yeah, going on yeah. in Manitowoc. They they have problems with their eyes there. It's like a, <laughs> Wait, it's but like so <laughs> so uh, in a trauma certain... trauma induced trauma induced blind color <laughs> color <laughs> color blindness. Okay, um, all right, all right, all right. That's actually the best explanation thus far. <laughs> the best. Explanation. Well, yeah, because yeah, I, I think their eyes are really bad there because the first time he was framed, she thought she saw him, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's like something's wrong with their eyes in that, that county or like that area. Yeah. Yeah. Or they just see what they're told to be see like to see. You know? <laughs> That's a funny one. That is a funny one. Yeah. They, they, they see what they're told to see, which changes accordingly. <laughs> I mean, it sucks when you have like a, you know, obviously a dead person. Well, allegedly dead, right? Is there proof that she's really dead? Once again, check out our DNA for Dummies podcast because the the DNA test on Hallback is far from conclusive. Just because she can't be ruled out as the subject of the DNA sample, the degraded sample, with factoring in thresholds, false positives, small data size that was used for extrapolation. I mean, this is this is pretty far from a confirmed DNA match scientifically. Huh. So, so yeah. All right. We left off talking about the VIN plate which was tampered. And what Maxwell and I were going over right when we uh when we were finishing up is that and and this is what doesn't make sense. So Remaker testified that the VIN plate was moved and that it looked like someone had tampered with it. It was bent and it wasn't in original factory condition. So why would it, so I was talking with Maxwell at the, at the close of the last one. I don't know if you caught this, Johnny, but why would he, why would he testify to that? Cause that makes it look like it was some, that makes it look like it wasn't the RAV4 and there's some kind of conspiracy at play. I speculated that, what if he was he wasn't in on it originally or something like that? Because why would he say that in court? That seems kind of so weird. You said that he said he did play play around with it. This is the transcript from the uh, from the case file, page one forty one. He said he was able to verify all but the first two numbers on the VIN. Then he also said the VIN plate was moved. Then he said, it looked like someone had tampered with it. It was bent, and it wasn't in factory condition. And for some reason, nobody follows up with that. Then they just, they talk about, like, the flashlight to see the... Who was was saying that? Remaker, in court. This is from from the court transcript. Maxwell, you don't remember we discussed this. What's his motivation? He could have just completely omitted that information because he's being asked whether or not he could read the VIN. He said once he got the flashlight, then he could see it. There's no reason to volunteer the information about somebody tampering with the VIN plate. That makes it seem like he's not in on the conspiracy. Yeah, that's a, that so, says a lot. Like he's just he's volunteering it. Exactly. Like, he wasn't no, asked no one whether, asked yeah. him about it. It almost, it almost like it almost like it's it, it's almost like he volunteered it because he knows it's a conspiracy and he ah. wants to reveal it. <laughs> so he's secretly the good guy doing a little bit of leaks so people could figure it out without him being completely fingered as the guy that blew the whistle because he's afraid of the uh, blowback. Yeah, what, what, giving, what was giving the whole food. idea though? What do you mean? What was the whole idea though? Like like the it was switched. Is that what we're trying to? Or is that what? We're assuming here, like the VIN plate was switched. We're like, just, we're, I'm not assuming anything. I'm saying, isn't it suspect that the VIN plate had been tampered with? Because if it's, look, if, if it was really her vehicle and the VIN plate matched perfectly, like we could say, okay, there's no further evidence that it was tampered. This is just another piece of evidence in a mounting evidence that it might not have been her vehicle. 
Because we're, they're saying the VIN plate was tampered with. So was the VIN taken from our actual vehicle, which may or may not have been sitting at the crime lab at that moment? Or so here's the thing, man. I was trying to say this the last time, or I did. Uh, the OBD sensor, you stick it into the car. Like, mechanics use it to diagnose and see if there's a problem with your car. When you plug that in, it tells you what the car's VIN number is, like, computer-wise. Like, yeah, but I don't, see, in. I don't see information anywhere here that they did that. I know, but if they did, then they'll know, like, whether it was tampered with or not, unless they mess with the computer system of the car, <laughs> uh, like, you'll but know what yeah. the actual VIN number is. No, that's a, very, that's a very good point, but we don't have that information. All we have is the information that the VIN plate was tampered with. <laughs> that's all we have here. <laughs> what do <are> we, like... <laughs> so, okay, uh, any final wait, wait, thoughts? How far, how, far, how far back does that VIN number electronic thing go? Oh, and how old is her car again? So, her vehicle, her vehicle was a 99, yes. Now, what we're actually going to get into next is that some people believe that the RAV4 recovered at the salvage yard and in the crime lab is a 98 and not a 99. And we're going to huh. get into the evidence for that in a moment. Maxwell wants oh. to, So, hold on a second. Maxwell, you want to know how long ECUs have been put in vehicles? Like the electronic uh, computer unit? Yeah, because, like, if it's a 99, I don't know if it's going to read or what. Oh, or, yeah, no. ECUs are actually quite old. I'm going to guess 80s. And uh, let, me, let me see. Oh, I recently okay. Wow. I think I was right. I think the first ECU... Actually, the first high-volume year was 1981, where they used a modern microprocessor. Huh. So, now, it doesn't... I don't see here whether or not that included the VIN in it in the 81 version. It may or may not. So, some modern vehicles have up to 80 ECUs with embedded software. Yeah, you got It's a whole, like, system thing. It's OBD, so... I'm assuming it has it, because I recently went to get my car inspected and I saw an older car there and they plugged it in so yeah no it's definitely from at least the 80 it says it went into high volume in the early 80s so since the early 80s I'm assuming most vehicles had them so anything from late 80s onward should definitely have it so yeah so we're anything in the 90s I mean yeah Maxwell any vehicle especially a Toyota I mean Toyota is not some no-name brand <laughs> So everything would have an ECU with the VIN programmed into it from, I, I, got it. I guess, late 80s onward. I got it right here. So uh, January 1st, 1996, all cars and light trucks built and sold in the United States were required to be OBD2 equipped. So all cars after 96. Would be with the, the yeah, with that plug. But EC, yeah, and ECU started in early 80s, but you weren't able to check the ECU yourself. That yeah, I guess so. so as of 96, any vehicle would be able to be checked for the VIN. All right, Maxwell, what are you doing with that information now that you have it? Um, or you just wanted to uh, verify that that could be done with her vehicle? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, it'd be cool if, we, if, they, if they do that and, like, match it up with, you know, original car title and all that, but... I mean, you know, I would assume they did, did that already, right? <laughs> it, it doesn't... I don't see any evidence that they did that in the salvage yard. Because there's actually even more information in there. It tells you the last time, like, the code was turned off or the battery was pulled to reset anything. It'll tell you how many miles were driven before it was reset. It tells you a lot of stuff. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool, but we don't have any of that information. <laughs> <laughs> we got to sneak in and plug one in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, so that's the VIN plate issue. So let's move on. On the interior of the vehicle, you have this. So people, again, once again, there's a lot of online sleuths doing serious research work. Some of them are car enthusiasts. There are photographs that clearly show that there is no rubber lining on the interior around the dash near the uh, near the passenger the front passenger door. The rubber is missing. Yeah, I see it. How it should look: nineteen ninety nine Rav four, and yeah. then gap here, no yep. rubber. All right. So All you right. see how in the dash, so the bolt is missing. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There's no rubber lining. So what was the? What are they doing to this vehicle? <laughs> so my question the is: hell? the one on the left is just a random Rav yes. four. It's not hers. It's Correct. not hers or anything, right? Correct. Okay. The right is hers. So, but is it is it too much of a coincidence that her vehicle has just been messed with extensively? Like that, this is weird. There's all damn. Wait, wait. What, what? Like, what do you think happened? That, like, if what is like if it was tampered with, what is the purpose of that to get to, to the um to get to the VIN number? Or, it like, seems. Or? It see well, possibly. It seems like there was an accident, and they had to make it look like there wasn't an accident because she was supposed to be killed by Avery before the accident. So if she left Avery's by herself, someone ran her off the road or there was some kind of an accident, possibly even law enforcement. We didn't discuss this. What if she got into an accident with law enforcement and she was seriously injured or possibly killed and they were like, oh, let's just pretend Avery did this on his property. Let's just fix up this vehicle real quick. You know, Sheriff Herman's got a car dealership. Let's grab a RAV4 from there. Just switch the VIN plate. Boom, boom. And maybe put her real vehicle in the crime lab so they have more time to fix that up because the RAV4 wasn't discovered until all these days later. So that's plenty of time for them. Because if this happened, if this did happen on Halloween or even the day after Halloween, that's, you know, they have a couple days to set this whole thing up, put Avery away, sweep Hallback thing under the rug, two birds, one stone, get rid of that $36 million pesky lawsuit. <laughs> so weird. I'd like to see a bigger picture of that because, like, it says here there's a there's a gap here, but it's actually not a gap. It's just a different angle. Because it's the same, like, if you look at that gray part. It looks bigger. So, yeah, on, a, on the higher quality version of that, it's a much bigger gap. It's probably twice the size of how it should look. It's separated. Mm. Mm. Okay. That's weird. Yeah, so some people believe that this is a 1999 photographed in evidence, not a 1998. Okay, so, yeah, I just ran her VIN through VIN Decoder, and it does come up. It's a 1999 SUV. Okay, so, yeah, this is really bizarre because this is a court document yeah, so the VIN they have is for a 1999, so they have the correct VIN in the reports, just like the DMV. However, the police reported it being a 1998. So this is a confidential report of laboratory findings that has since been released, Wisconsin Department of Justice. 
submitting agency, Sheriff Jerry Hagel. And so the following items were examined and processed for the presence of identifiable finger and or palm prints. And this evidence has never been released on what those fingerprints are because they never released them. Because if they were Avery's, you know they would have added them to the evidence, right? Avery's blood from the uh, planted uh, Q-tip and the uh, transfer DNA from the CSI tech who never changed his gloves from looking at Avery's Grand Am. And then he just went straight to Teresa Hallback's RAV4 and opened the hood without changing the gloves. I mean, this is a professional operations, right, right Maxwell? <laughs> yeah. So... If the fingerprints in the RAV4 were Avery's, they would have said that, right? Yeah. So they must, have found, they must have found a bunch of fingerprints that weren't Avery's. Who were they? Were they the officers that were messing with the vehicle? Was it Coburn? It was Coburn and Lank's fingerprints? Well, whose fingerprints were these? I mean, they could have been hers. But they would have released that, though. They would have said that. So, okay, so this is what it says. The following items were examined and or processed for the presence of identifiable finger and or palm prints. Item A, one 1998 blue four-door Toyota RAV4. See, what's weird is, like, they'll say it's a 99, but, like, uh, but they'll come out in 2000, or, you know what I mean? It's a 98, but it comes out in 99. No, but that's not what they're talking about. The VIN, yeah, so a 98 would have been available at the end of 97, but the VIN would say what it yeah, is. Actually, yeah, yeah. So the VIN comes out to a 99, but they're listing a 98. So is this a Freudian slip? <laughs> and then it's yeah. the wrong rap for But uh, front item A15, front driver side blinker light, A16 lug wrench, A17 Sunbelt Crunchy Granola Bar Wrapper, A18 Garage Door Opener Wrapped in Duct Tape, A19 One Bottle of Aquafina Water, Item A20 One Black Plastic CD Carrying Case, A21 One Empty Bottle of Aquafina Water, she really likes Aquafina, Item A22 One Partially Full Bottle of Aquafina Water, <laughs> Item A24 One Vinyl Wheel Cover from Spare Tire, a25, eight latent lifts. AJ, one RAV4 license plate with an 06 sticker. AK, one RAV4 license plate. Latent prints, which are suitable for identification purposes, were observed and developed on items A, A17, A19, A20, and A22. These Latin prints were compared with the inked fingerprints and palm prints on the following standard inked fingerprint and palm print cards bearing the names, item A.S., Stephen Avery, and all of that stuff. Okay, so it listed as a 98. Is that just a typo? Because we're obviously dealing with extremely competent people here, right? Like people who would never contaminate any kind of DNA samples. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they, uh, so what, they, their fake double was a 98? Is that what we're thinking here? I don't and know. Some people, some people believe that, yes. So, and then of course the color issues because, yeah, they're calling it blue. They're calling it blue in this report. Not teal, not blue green, just flat blue. <laughs> Flat blue. 
that's that's a little weird. That's a little weird. Okay. So here are the differences. So there's not that many differences from the 98 to 99 model, but they removed the two-door hardtop from the American lineup. They included new option like color-keyed mirrors and door handles, an alloy wheel option, and a full-sized wheel spare and soft spare tire cover. Three new colors, which were Quicksilver, Venetian Red Pearl, that sounds nice, Mystic Teal Mica, and supposedly that was hers. Discontinued colors were Alpine Silver, Prussian Red Pearl, they got some fancy names, Sedona Sunset Metallic, that sounds nice too. <laughs> okay, so it did have the full-size spare, so it must have been a 99 and not a 98, but... I don't know, because if they messed with it and they put the full size on, I mean, I don't know. It's weird. What about, like, on the side, I think usually, like, uh, by the passenger, not the passenger, the driver door, like, uh, right at the bottom, it shows, like, the manufacturing date. So maybe it has something to do with yeah, that's manufacturing that's date versus... Are you talking about the plate or the stamp? Because um, <clears throat> most of the vehicles I see, it's a plate that can be removed. Yeah, it's like a white paper or like yeah, plate or something. Yeah, because if because that could just be swapped out. That's not uh, yeah, that's tough. Maybe they're just doing like a release year versus manufacturing year or something screwed up or something. That's why yeah. there's two different years. There's yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of issues with that. Okay, someone posted a very interesting write-up specifically about the VIN on TikTok Manitowoc, which is a uh, Reddit focused on a more objective take on the Stephen Avery case without falling for appeal to authority fallacies and just taking on blind faith all of these officers with massive conflicts of interest are putting out there. And of course, Ken Kratz. I know some people hang on his every word because he just seems like such a reliable, trustworthy, law-abiding individual. But So this guy supposedly is from Australia. He posted this, Know Your Rav, Part 1, Sam William Henry, which is referring to Teresa Hallback's VIN. Okay, greetings from Australia. This post settled years of debate. Know Your Rav will be a series of posts about Sam William Henry. Teresa Hallback's RAV4. These posts aim to be evidence-based and consider and build upon previous posts from various sources and combine new and original analysis. Okay. Summary, this post an examination of vehicle specifications, available exhibit and photographic evidence. Exhibit 192 confirms the RAV4 in possession of the Wisconsin State Crime Lab is Sam William Henry. Regarding the original factory port vehicle specifications of Sam William Henry, available exhibit and photographic evidence. Spare steel wheel is expected even though it does not match the four alloy styled wheels. Spare tire does not match the four Uniroyal Tiger Paw tires. Significance unknown. Rear door storage rail is present, but expected bags are not present. Center console box is present, but expected lid is not present. That's exhibit 300. Cargo mat is expected, but not present. 
the RS3000 keyless remote entry system was not installed, is not expected, and is not present. Wait, what was the, what was the last item? The keyless entry remote, but it does look like it's on there. I believe she did have the keyless entry, so that might have been, I don't know. That, that's a weird one. We'll get into that in a second. Covers for both miscellany boxes are expected, but not present. Tire change tool bag appears to be present in left miscellany box. Jack, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of missing items. What's going on? Yes. Jack is expected and present. Lug wrench is present, but is a foreign object if the Toyota wheel nut wrench is in the tool bag in the left miscellany box. And then, of course, what we had already went over, the dashboard is missing a bolt and rubber seal at the windshield and passenger door junction. So we will also be examining if her vehicle was involved in an accident, the windshield might have been replaced and the VIN plate tampered with as well. So, again, whether it was a 90, if it was a 99, obviously it could have been a different 99, or maybe it was a 98 that they dressed up, but then they did have an actual 99 in the crime lab. Like, if we're playing mix and match, swap-a-roo, switch-a-roo, we don't know which vehicle was where and dressed up as how because there's <laughs> all of this shadiness. But yeah, there's a lot of missing items. Is that kind of, I mean, this vehicle is only a couple years old. We're talking 2005. The vehicle's a 99. We're not talking like an early eight, like an early 90s or late 80s vehicle where it would be a little bit more expected that a lot of stuff would be missing, right? Or maybe not. I don't know. I've had a lot of car. I've had a lot of older cars that have been nothing was missing on them. So I, I don't know. You think that's strange, Johnny? That all this stuff was missing? Yeah, it is, it is pretty weird that there's stuff missing. Um, but he he's comparing that to photos or like yes, what the car should be coming with. Yeah, like what photos and also what was actually on the reports because it was on the reports that some of this stuff was missing. Like this isn't just photos; it's photos and reports. Because, I mean, like, she, obviously, she could have removed something and it got thrown out or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, that's obviously a possibility. Yeah, we don't know. It just yeah. seems like it's a lot of stuff. It's not just one or two things. Yeah. But, yeah, definitely weird. Especially, like you said, it's not really an older vehicle at that time. Only a few years old. She, uh, I'm assuming she was the only owner. I think I remember reading something like that. That was her car that she bought out. I like thought if nobody owned it before that. She went over it. Didn't she buy it used? I thought she bought it used. Maxwell, do you remember? No. Uh, this is from a blogger that reported it and then took it from reports and analysis of yeah. photos. Yeah. That's pretty good analysis. Oh, I just started it. <laughs> that was the overview. <laughs> so what's weird, though, with the keyless entry, supposedly it did have it. So September, what's weird? Okay. We're talking September 29th, 2017. Special Investigator John Dettering of the Calumet County Sheriff's Department placed a telephone call to Colosso Toyota in Appleton, Wisconsin. And the purpose of the call was to determine whether or not Teresa Hallback's RAV4 came equipped with keyless entry. The body shop manager checked the VIN and said it did come with keyless entry. What does that mean? So that's weird. No, she so it bought it. She it, bought it but... I believe she bought it pre-owned. She, I think she did buy it pre-owned. I think that's what. 
it said. Okay. So Ken Kratz knew that it came with keyless entry because he mentioned it during the trial. However, it's stating here that it didn't come with key. It's stating that the recovered RAV4 did not have keyless entry. So someone, what about, someone made a boo-boo over here. Did they? What's did, with the um? What, what's with the keyless entry? What are you saying? You don't need to stick a key into the car door to open it? Right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it's works. just the button. Yeah. So, yeah. The button to unlock yeah, and lock. Unlock, it and lock. And, and it, yeah, either um, it may or may not have the. I see. So there's different options. Some of them have an alarm. Some of them have the trunk opening. So the key that they found at his house. Do you, I don't remember the photo. I gotta look it up. What was on there? Did it have a key fob or was no, it just a key? No, that was just the spare key, which we don't even know. Oh, if that was from, yeah. We don't even know if that was from Teresa's Rav4. They so if they. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was just a key, right? There was right. nothing else. It was just yeah. a spare key. So, supposedly, her vehicle had keyless entry. But from the crime lab, the reports state that the keyless entry remote system was not installed. Does that mean there was a different system installed that they didn't notice because of their competency level so high? I don't understand. And Ken Kratz himself says it has keyless entry. So, and then the VIN plate was tampered with. So... All of these things are just, it's just weird because why are all these inconsistent, why are there all these inconsistencies with the RAV4? That doesn't make any sense. Maxwell, any thoughts on this? Um, yeah, I don't know. So it was an optional accessory, the, uh, the keyless entry. So it, it seems like it was possible to buy them without it. However, yeah, there's a value package. Huh. So it seems like uh, they're saying there could have just been a problem where it did have the keyless entry, but nobody was aware of it. So Toyota Carfax D Dealer Daily, they were not aware of it. Some people are speculating that. Huh. So other people are speculating that she had a keyless entry system installed after she bought it. So it originally didn't have it, which is why it stated it didn't have it. But then she got it after the fact. Lot of shadiness here. Lot of shadiness. And then of course the tire. Well, does the spare tire not matching? That's uh. So the tires are aluminum alloy wheels, and the spare is a steel wheel. And these are all Toyota spec. And that's a problem because supposedly and it has uh it has no center cap and the bolt pattern looks different as well so the part number for the bolt pattern is supposed to be 69369 or 69371 and it's 69370 this is what this write up is saying regarding the wheels so that's inconsistent what does that mean we don't know and then, of course, we have all those missing uh, area. We have all the other missing uh, pieces. So the RS3000 requires installation of main control unit, ECU, glass breakage sensor control, and status monitor. This is on a Toyota 99 Toyota RAV4. So there is no exhibit or photo evidence of any of the RS3000 components. Particularly, the status monitor is not present in Exhibit 290. Do we know what we're looking for when we're talking about the RS3000? Yes. Like, what it looks so, like? or Yes. So 
apparently you'd be able to see it in uh there's a status monitor to the left of the steering column so do you know how sometimes uh, depending on what features you have installed there's an extra there's extra buttons with lights like either for some some cars that come with a security system and some that don't like you'd have extra buttons and those are just not there on cars that don't have that package installed gotcha yeah Yeah. yeah to the bottom left of the wheel so it looks like yeah it's not there and then there's also supposedly you'd be able to also yeah you'd be able to see that and the range is 50 feet for this particular rs3000 keyless entry remote entry system but kratz said she did have keyless entry at the trial so yeah so also possible what people are saying is that it can be it can be installed by a dealer after the fact and does not have to come at factory. So she could have, obviously you can add keyless entry at any shop that specializes in electric, electronic installation for vehicles, but the dealers also do that. So if they get it from the factory, they want to upgrade the package, they could just add it after the fact. But this is all yeah. unclear. And if they add it after the fact, it wouldn't necessarily be factory spec. May or may not, but... And all like uh, the Brian Hillegas guy and the Scott Blodorn or Bladorn, whatever, they would know what kind of key she had. Well, apparently at trial, Kratz said she did have keyless entry. So it seems like people after the fact said that she did. So she did. All right, let's move on to uh, <laughs> Know Your Rav Part 2. So here the series continues. Buckle up because this one is good. I'll impeach the testimony of John Ertl. So Ertl is the crime lab tech mechanic. And we 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 covered him briefly, but uh let's get uh let's get into it more. So this guy is alleging that he's completely lying. Can't wait to hear this. <laughs> so summary Mr. Ertl perjured himself and his testimony can be impeached. A 1999 Toyota RAV4 does not have a front drive shaft that can be unbolted. The steering wheel and turned front wheels were locked. Sam William Henry came to rest in the garage at the Wisconsin State Crime Lab, not in the way described by Mr. Ertl. Unfortunately, the defense did not produce an expert witness to refute Mr. Ertl's testimony. This reminds me of my cousin Vinny. Remember all the details about the uh, make model of a vehicle and the specs? Have you guys seen that movie? Yeah, I love that scene. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maxwell, did you see my cousin Vinny? Yeah, that's that's the best scene. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Nor did they recognize or question Mr. Ertl about the big problems Sam William Henry exposed about his testimony. They should have got, yeah, they should have got Joe Pesci to handle this one. But um, any automotive expert, the wrecker at Avery Salvage Yard and the local wrecker used by the Wisconsin State Crime Lab would be able to assist with any inquiries into this matter. The local wrecker used by the Wisconsin State Crime Lab would be able to be traced through Wisconsin State Crime Lab records. All right. So let's go over this. Yeah. And then also like wheeling it around. Like how did they move it? You know what I mean? Like yeah, get it from point key. A to point B. They didn't have the key till after. Yeah. Okay. So briefly on November 5th, 2005, after the RAV4 had been located by led by God Pam Sturm, Mr. Ertl, a forensic scientist of the Wisconsin State Crime Lab, responded to the Avery Salvage Yard. 
Mr. Ertle was involved in the recognition and retrieval of various key pieces of evidence, including the RAV4, Sam William Henry. On February 19, 2007, day six of the Stephen Avery trial, Mr. Ertle gave witness testimony about Sam William Henry under direct cross, redirect, and recross examination. It is recommended that you read this testimony to familiarize yourself with the context of what is about to be discussed. Unfortunately, the defense did not produce an expert witness to refute Mr. Ertl's testimony, nor did they recognize or question Mr. Ertl about the big problems Sam William Henry exposed about his testimony. Nevertheless, Mr. Ertl did give enough deliberate information first under direct examination to allow his testimony to be impeached. Even though there is much more testimony and evidence to be dissected, for the purpose of this post, I am only focusing on the vehicle specifications of Sam William Henry. Reference testimony. For reference, the full relevant passage of Mr. Ertl's testimony is reproduced below alongside exhibit photographs and diagrams to visually demonstrate what Mr. Ertl was describing. Okay, the findings. It is important to first establish the condition of Sam William Henry after Mr. Ertl had retrieved it and delivered it to the Wisconsin State Crime Lab garage. By the way, in the crime lab photographs, it looks completely blue. It has no greenish tint at all that I can see. But Ronald Graffy testified that Sam William Henry was found in the Wisconsin State Crime Lab garage on November 6, 2005, as depicted in his photographs particularly exhibits 289, 290, and 293. So this is from the trial transcript, February 23rd, 2007, day 10, page 53. Mr. Graffi, on the back of each of these photographs, there's an exhibit number. They are sequentially numbered, exhibit 289 through 305. I would like you to take the top photograph, which would be exhibit 289, and I'm going to ask you to describe what that photograph is of. And please tell the jury that, and we're going to show that. Well, here it is up on the screen. Describe what the photograph is, please. States Exhibit 289 is the exterior view of the RAV4 from the driver's side of the vehicle. And the photograph that you have in your hand, that's the same photograph that is up on the big screen? That is correct. Sir, will you take the next photograph and describe that? Tell us what the exhibit is and describe it for the jury. That's State Exhibit 290. That is the front interior portion of the RAV4 looking from the driver's side of the vehicle. And is that the photograph, the same photograph we have on the big screen? Yes, it is. Next exhibit, sir, Exhibit 293. That is a view, again, of the front passenger area looking through the front passenger door of the seat and floor area and part of the dash. And again, where were these photographs taken? At the Wisconsin State Crime Lab in Madison. And is the photograph that you just described accurately represented up here on the big screen? Yes, it is. It is not necessary to revisit the fact that everyone who came into contact with the RAV4 claims that it was locked. So in these photos, the driver and passenger door are open. So he just verified these exhibit photographs. Okay? Mr. Graffi went on to describe finding the driver's side door unlocked on the morning of November 6, 2005, and that he reached over and around to unlock the other three doors. Mr. Graffi confirmed under cross-examination by Mr. Buting that exhibits 289, 290, and 293 were taken on November 6, and represented the condition of the vehicle as it had come to rest in the Wisconsin State 
Crime Lab Garage. So we actually went over that briefly about how how they got it open if it was locked and all of the conflicting testimony. Then they were getting copies of keys. We have no idea if the key that was found in Avery's trailer was even to Teresa's RAV4. We don't know any of that because none of that has ever been confirmed. So it's all quite bizarre. So moving on. So uh, page 62. Buting. Okay, it was your understanding, though, that this Toyota RAV4 had arrived at your, I'm sorry, Madison lab sometime very, very late the night before Saturday night, early morning Sunday. Graffy says, I don't know that for sure, sir. Buting says, okay, well, when she called you in your supervisor, would that be Lucy Meyer? That's correct. Did she tell you that this had just arrived and you were going to be one of the first people to see it? She had conveyed to me that they received a vehicle at the lab for processing, and she was wondering if I could come in and assist and do the photography on the vehicle. Okay, and when you arrived, it was parked in the garage that was displayed in that first photograph. That's correct. As above, under direct examination, the first photograph referred to by Mr. Buting was Exhibit 289. Okay, so he's saying that's how he found the vehicle. So that first photograph is the vehicle with the doors locked. The other photographs are with the vehicle with the doors open. Does that make sense, guys? So he found it with the doors closed, and yet the doors were then opened. <laughs> so he saw it once, doors were closed, he came back, and the world. No, 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 no. Right as he del it was found with the doors closed. That's how they said they found it. But then the photographs were with doors open. So they must have opened the doors right after they, right as they went up to it, which means it was unlocked, even though everybody says it was locked. So the yeah. question becomes... So you're you're talking about at the scene, at the scene, not at the crime lab. No, we're talking about at the crime lab. Okay. Uh, okay. That, that's very interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Look at Maxwell paying attention here. <laughs> It was, so it's in the crime, so yes, doors locked at the Avery Salvage Yard. Doors locked at arrival at Wisconsin Crime Lab, and then Graffy shows up, takes photos with the doors open. So the first photo, doors closed, second photo, day, doors open, and these were all taken at the same time. So how did they get it open? All right. All right, so now we're going to look at uh, John Ertl. In order to understand what you're about to be shown, it is necessary to follow the relevant activities of Mr. Ertl on November 5th, 2005. There are no known photographs of the vehicles or events described by Mr. Ertl, so diagrams of these vehicles and events are provided alongside Mr. Ertl's testimony as described by Mr. Ertl. First, Pam Sturm located the RAV4 in the southeast corner of the Avery Salvage Yard November 5th, 2005. Once again, this was she was led by God through 4,000 vehicles and just went directly to the RAV4 in a straight line in like 15, 20 minutes. Not suspicious at all. Okay. So she photographed the RAV4. We also know the driver's side front end damage to Sam William Henry predates the findings by Miss Sturm and the retrieval by Mr. Ertl because the damage can be seen in one of the photographs Miss Sturm took in Exhibit 33. 
In his testimony, Mr. Ertle said that once he arrived at Avery Salvage Yard, he was led to a flat area adjacent to the vehicle crusher where he parked his response vehicle, Exhibit 96. Then Mr. Ertle proceeded on foot along the grassy, overgrown gravel and dirt road around the pond to where Sam William Henry was located. Mr. Ertle confirmed that the front of Sam William Henry was facing west. Mr. Ertle then surveyed the scene. Okay, one other point. I forgot about the pond. Yeah, there's a pond right there. Why, uh, huh, that's kind of weird. If you're Stephen Avery and you want to get rid of the RAV4, you could use the car crusher, but you could also probably just run it into the pond, right? I mean, I guess they would drain it at some point, maybe. I don't know. That'd be better than just covering it with a few branches, right? <laughs> like if you write it into the pond at least it wouldn't be seen right away i don't know okay so this is from the avery trial transcript february 19 2007 day six page 14 ertl says okay these cars parked along here were kind of older looking the paint was faded they looked like they belonged there in the salvage yard the rav4 looked a little different it was shiny it had an old rambler hood leaned up against the back panel it had a piece of plywood uh, up against the front end on the side. It had several tree branches up against the back. Had a cardboard box sitting on the hood. Huh, it's kind of weird. And had quite a large 12 to 15 foot tree that looked like it had been ripped out of the ground, still had roots attached, and was leaning up against the hood. And we got over these pictures. Like, it's so obvious. Like, it's the most obvious thing. Like, they put a couple of branches and a couple of pieces of wood. That makes it look even more conspicuous. Like, that makes it look even more shady than if it was just left alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other vehicles there had been parked there, and were there were saplings growing up around them. But this one had detached tree limbs and things around it. <laughs> Mr. Ertle testified he did not access the interior of Sam William Henry. So we go to February 19th, 2007, day six, page 17. We couldn't get into the vehicle. All the doors were locked. So the extent of my examination of the inside was shining a flashlight through the windows and just looking inside. All right. And how much time did you say you spent looking inside the vehicle with a flashlight? Oh, there were several of us around the vehicle at the time looking inside. Once all the materials had been removed from around it, that was pretty much the first time anyone could get, you know, close enough to peer inside. All right, let me ask you then, what were you looking for or attempting to see when you examined inside the vehicle? Well, it was a missing persons case. So the first thing I wanted to know was the missing person inside the missing person's car. And I didn't see any evidence of that. All right, now before we go any further, I would like to direct your attention to the screen again showing you Exhibit 130 and ask, does that scene strike any memories with you? And this is a photograph of John Ertle around the RAV4 with others. Yes, that's me standing there right there. That's the RAV4, and it's a bit of a fence post. That's the Rambler hood. That's a piece of plywood. That is part of a tree that was up against the front end. And those are bits of the branches that were against the back end. And who is that in the red coat? That's Special Agent Tom Fassbender. I'm sure Maxwell knows all of these individuals. Although Mr. Ertle acknowledged that this was a missing persons case and that he wanted to know if the missing person was inside the missing person's car, Mr. Ertle explained that no effort was made to examine the vehicle of the missing person at the scene 
and perhaps learn of the missing person's whereabouts. Because of threatening weather and his desire to protect the integrity of the evidence. So hold on a second. He's saying, oh, wait, it's going to rain. Let's not search for Teresa around here. Let's just make sure uh, this vehicle doesn't get damaged. (laughs) (laughs) That's completely bizarre. We've talked about that a few times. Nobody cares about where she is. They only care about the vehicle. It's kind of weird. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Stephen Avery, trial transcript, February 19th, 2007, day 6, page 22. All right, what efforts did you make to protect the integrity of the evidence? At that point, I suggested that we get it back to the laboratory and we use a covered trailer to put the vehicle in. The trip to Madison in a rainstorm, traveling at highway speeds, would pretty much scour anything off the outside of the car. We wanted to put it inside of a trailer, so I asked for that to be brought to the scene. And did that, in fact, occur? Yes, it did. Approximately how long did you wait before making the request for that type of equipment and its arrival on the scene? I believe I made the request pretty early on. I'm not exactly sure how long it took to get that to the scene. There was a record truck that was called, and that was a separate company, I believe, that had the trailer. In the meantime, I got involved with other areas at the salvage yard. Mr. Ertl described moving to other areas of the salvage yard to look at other potential evidence such as burn barrels, golf carts, and eventually the car crusher back at the flat area near where the Sam William Henry was found. By about the same time, Mr. Ertl was informed a wrecker had arrived. Page 29. All right, returning again to the RAV4, the SUV, when the wrecker arrived, what did you do? The person with the covered trailer, he had attached to a pickup truck. He helped direct the wrecker truck. It was a really large one. Looked like you could probably pull a semi. He backed it down along that road between the row of cars and pond. I waited for them down at the RAV4. The wrecker operator then examined the vehicle, trying to determine how he was going to best get it out of there because there was no way they were going to get the pickup with the trailer in there and along that narrow road with the pond. So the plan was to pull the RAV4 out into the flat area near the crusher and put it into the trailer there, where they had room to maneuver. So the wrecker operator determined that the RAV4 wasn't just going to roll, it was either in gear or it had its parking brake on. For whatever reason, it wouldn't roll on its own wheels. Maxwell, you following? Car wouldn't roll on its own wheels, so they couldn't put it in a trailer? Yeah. So he wanted to try to put the vehicle in neutral, and it was locked. He couldn't get in. So he crawled underneath and tried to reach the linkage for the transmission. Wait, um, wait, so, so who took the photographs of this? Was it the same person that got, that's blocked up, that said that? No, Graffy took the photographs at the crime lab. We're talking about when the vehicle was found on location at Avery Salvage Yard right now. We yeah, don't know. Yeah, but, but, but yeah, but you said one of the photographs uh, it was open, right? Or something? At the crime lab. Oh, really? Uh, but yeah, they, but okay, I, okay, 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 got it, it got it. it. it so it was only open at the right? crime lab, but it wasn't open at the, at the place. Well, it was the first photograph at the crime lab, it was locked. Then the other photographs, which were taken at the same time that morning, they were open. Okay, following? Yeah, there, okay. There are no photographs showing it open in Avery Salvage Yard. I uh, got it. But no fo- uh, except for the branches. There no, 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 no. Photographs. There are no photos showing the doors open. 
Yeah, There's yeah, yeah. plenty of photographs of the uh, Rav4 okay. at the Avery Salvage Yard with the doors closed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's with the branches and shit like that. And without the branches after they moved them. And under the tarp. Remember all those photos? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole bunch of photos. There's just none that show it with the doors open. Johnny, what were you saying? No, I was just saying that, yeah, the car wouldn't roll because uh, you can't put it into gear if you don't have the key. You can't put it into neutral, correct, yes. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's what we're doing. So that's what we're going over right now. So, but, yeah. yeah. So he wanted to try to put the vehicle in neutral, and it was locked. He couldn't get in. So he crawled underneath and tried to reach the linkage for the transmission. He couldn't reach that. Then he tried to access that from under the hood, but the hood release and everything was also inside. Couldn't pop the hood. So what he ended up doing was crawling underneath and unbolting one of the drive shafts. It was a four-wheel drive vehicle. He unbolted the drive shaft to the front end. Then he used his lifter from the wrecker to pick up the back wheels. And then rolled it on the front wheels. And he pulled it out from around the pond into that flattened area where the trailer was waiting. And then he rolled it up into the trailer and we strapped it down into the trailer. Who was involved in this project? I was there, the wrecker operator, and the person that brought the trailer. Once the vehicle was secured, what did you do? We then prepared, and I'm not sure if this is the point where they actually had the ramp raised now, and we then looked at the crushed vehicle in the crusher, or if that had occurred prior to moving the RAV4 out. But at any point, at some point, Tom Fassbender said that we don't need you anymore right now. Get the RAV4 back to the lab. All right, during your exposure to the SUV, how many law enforcement officers were in the immediate vicinity of that vehicle? When I first arrived, I would guess three to four. There was always one standing away from it, and that person was there just to make sure that no one who didn't belong there was there. That was like the security guy. When I first arrived, they were removing the tarp. I think there were three or four there. Tom was there with me, my photographer, there was another. You mentioned Tom, Tom Fassbender. Agent Fassbender who is seated here? Yes. All right. And I don't know all the people involved. All right. And how, how about after your tour of the general area, you came back to the area where the SUV was, were there officers then present as well? The one on guard was still there. Same person? That I don't know. That's kind of weird. How would you not recognize the guy if you're walking right up to him? And you wouldn't know if that's the same guy from whatever, half hour ago, hour ago? Does that seem weird? Yeah, that's kind of weird. <laughs> Got shapeshifters over there. <laughs> okay, approximately what time did you leave the scene that Saturday night? I believe it was about a quarter to nine. Oh, so it's a couple hours. Okay. What time did you arrive at Madison? It was about 1.15 a.m. What time did you finish securing the RAV4? It was about 2 a.m. All right, and where was the vehicle secured? In the garage at the crime laboratory in Madison. Did you need the assistance of any other professional help to secure the vehicle? Yes. Tell us about that. When we arrived in Madison, I called the local wrecker company to come and do the opposite of what the wrecker had done at the scene in Manitowoc to lift up the back end, pull the vehicle out of the trailer, and then put it in the garage because the back wheels were still locked. As you know, Mr. Graffi testified that his photographs on November 6, 2005 correctly depict the RAV4 as he found it secured in the Wisconsin State Crime Lab garage. 
Again, these exhibit photographs of Sam William Henry at the garage present a huge problem for Mr. Ertle and the state of Wisconsin. Sam William Henry is facing the wrong way. So the nose uh. is to the garage door in the crime lab photographs. Huh. That's interesting. Because remember, it was backed up the wrecker. So it, into the trailer, it was lifted by the back. So the nose would be facing the garage door. So when they put it in, the rear of the car should be to the garage door, not the nose. And in the crime lab photographs, the nose of the vehicle, the front of the vehicle, is facing the garage door. That's weird. So how would they spin it around? <laughs> I don't know. It says so here in this in this post, it is just not physically possible for a record truck to lift the locked back wheels of Sam William Henry and deliver it rear first into the Wisconsin State Crime Lab garage. If attempted, the record truck would either collide with the back wall of the garage or become entrapped. For the purpose of this post, there are two major problems with Mr. Ertel's testimony. One problem, a 1999 Toyota RAV4 does not have a front drive shaft. Number two, the RAV4 came to rest in the garage at the Wisconsin State Crime Lab, not in the way described by Mr. Ertel. Transport on a covered trailer. First, it must be true that Sam William Henry was transported under a cover of some description since the exhibit photographs of the vehicle at the garage showed the presence of leaf litter and debris that otherwise would have been blown away had the vehicle been exposed to the environment while being moved. And then, of course, we do have a photograph uh, of the RAV4 in the covered trailer. So, yeah, that's all known. Transmission shift select and handbrake. Exhibits 290 and 293 demonstrate that the automatic transmission shift select is in the forward-most position and that the handbrake is off. The handbrake is a cable which locks the rear wheel. For the purpose of this post, since Mr. Graffi's testimony dictates that the handbrake was never on, since apparently no one accessed the interior of Sam William Henry because they claimed it was locked, then no further discussion about the handbrake will follow. However, with regards to the likelihood of a changed battery, and we'll actually go over that in a moment right after this, it is noted that Sam William Henry vehicle spec indicate that it has daytime running lights. According to the official 1999 Toyota RAV4 owner's manual and the daytime running light system, the headlights turn on when the handbrake is off with the engine started. Even with the light switch in the off position, they will not go off until the ignition switch is turned off. Turning to the transmission, according to the official owner's manual, the forwardmost position is park. Without the engine running, an automatic transmission is effectively in neutral in any gear except park. In an automatic transmission, there is a ring with teeth on the output shaft of the transmission. When the transmission is shifted into park, a lever called the parking pawl is lowered against the ring. If the parking pawl does not land squarely into an opening in the ring, the car will roll slightly and there will usually be an audible click as it engages. The parking pole then holds the output shaft from turning. Consistent with Mr. Ertel's testimony and Mr. Graffi's photographs, 
if the shift select is in park, none of the four wheels of a 1999 Toyota RAV4 all-wheel drive will roll. Therefore, in order to get any wheels to roll so that the vehicle may be towed without accessing the interior of Sam William Henry to move the shift select out of park because all doors are locked, it is necessary to disengage the relevant wheels from the transmission and engine. All-wheel drive and transaxle. If you do not understand the differences between all-wheel drive and four-wheel drive, it is recommended you research to understand. A Toyota-Club.net website provides a comprehensive history of Toyota all-wheel drive. The vehicle spec of Sam William Henry dictate that it was an all-wheel drive. It's a 2.0-liter four-cylinder DOHC engine, engine number 3S2-546853. It is a four-speed electronically controlled automatic transmission and full-time four-wheel drive. A description of the 99 RAV4 automatic transmission and drivetrain can be found on the Toyota-Club.net website. And they have the differences here between the all-wheel drive and the four-wheel drive. So the four-wheel drive has the transfer case closer to the middle, whereas the all-wheel drive has the transfer case, the transfer case all the way in the front, directly between the wheels. The four-wheel drive has it closer to the middle of the vehicle with a center differential directly behind it. Whereas in an all-wheel drive, it's next, it's to the left of it, under the driver's side. To safely tow any vehicle, it is necessary to disengage the relevant wheels from the transmission engine, otherwise they are locked, and attempting a tow will result in skull dragging and damage to the transmission and engine. Briefly, the scenario described by Mr. Ertl in his testimony is that the Avery Salvage Yard the wrecker crawled under the vehicle and unbolted one drive shaft to disengage both front wheels from the transmission engine to enable those front wheels to turn freely under tow. I'm just trying to um, think out loud here. Uh, so, like, let's say a RAV4, that same one parked at somewhere it shouldn't be parked, the owner calls to get it towed. Okay, what do they do? <laughs> they would have to have access to the interior of the vehicle. Uh, but usually that doesn't happen, right? If the owner is there, or it's unlocked... No, I mean, like, that car shouldn't be parked there, so the owner of the business... The owner of the uh, business yeah. calls the phone company to get rid of the car. Like, what do they do? They damage the vehicle. But check, it, check out the, the differences between all-wheel drive and four-wheel drive. So, check out the image. So, so like, four-wheel drive needs to be, like, engaged, right? Or, like... Uh, uh, no, it's full so this is full time four wheel drive. So it's all, all so wheel drive. Yeah. Well, well, that's all. That's what that's all wheel drive. So that's their name for it. So their name it says vehicle spec full time four wheel drive, but the VIN states that it's technically an all wheel drive. And if you look at the diagrams of all wheel drive versus four wheel drive, you can see the differences. Maxwell, you see it? Uh, no, not yet. All right, so four-wheel drive has an extra piece or whatever. Like, all-wheel drive is just kind of like one piece, drives all wheels at the same time. And the all-wheel drive, everything, all of the pieces are in the front, whereas the four-wheel drive, it's a completely different layout. It's a completely different layout. You guys see that? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, let's continue going over this. So, 
according to Ertl's testimony, the wrecker crawled under the vehicle, unbolted one drive shaft to disengage both front wheels from the transmission and the engine to enable those front wheels to turn freely under tow. Mr. Ertl relies on the RAV4 being a four-wheel drive model in four-wheel drive mode. It is true that in the case of a four-wheel drive, which for the scenario presented by Mr. Ertl is actually a part-time four-wheel drive in four-wheel drive mode, disengaging the front drive shaft will isolate the front wheels from the transfer case. Therefore, the front wheels will be disengaged from the transmission engine and the vehicle might be towed with the front wheels on the ground. However, in the case of an all-wheel drive, particularly Sam William Henry, which is a 1999 Toyota RAV4, there can be considered three drive shafts. Front left half shaft, front right half shaft, and the rear drive shaft. In this all-wheel drive, disengaging the rear drive shaft isolates only the rear wheels from the transaxle. Therefore, only the rear wheels will be disengaged from the transmission and the engine. In this all-wheel drive, and bearing in mind, Mr. Ertl testified that only one drive shaft was disengaged. Disengaging only one of the front drive shaft does not disengage the other front drive shaft. Therefore, the vehicle still won't roll freely on both front wheels. Are you following, guys? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So he'd have so to- So couldn't have been able to roll. Correct. Maxwell, did you but get what that? If, but, but what if he actually did that? He just didn't explain it properly or like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, hold on. Let's, well, yeah, hold on. Let's, let's finish with this. Wait, so, so uh, this whole, this whole point is that uh, they're having a hard time dragging the, they should have had a hard time dragging into the trailer because the way the car is. Well, there's different scenarios on. here. If that's not Teresa Hallback's RAV4 and it's a four wheel drive then that's fine, but it's still facing the wrong way in the crime lab because it was, it was taken up backwards into the closed trailer. Ah, uh, I see. I'm just wondering if you could use some sort of, like, uh, you know, uh, you know, if you change your tires or something, you have to use that little pump to get it up. Somehow, like, spinning it around using something like that, or, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, we don't know, but uh, anyway, so the other point is if it was if it wasn't her vehicle and it's a four wheel drive, then everything then that part works. But hold on, all right, so let's let's keep going for argument's sake. And if Mr. Ertl's testimony is to be believed, if the record operator unbolted one or both front half shafts, the following must be considered disengaging a front half shaft from the transaxle engine is not achieved by just unbolting it. A video demonstrating the 1999 Toyota RAV4 drivetrains can be found here. He's, there's a link. There are no accessible bolts to be unbolted to immediately disengage a front half shaft and consequently a wheel from the transaxle and engine. A video demonstrating how to disengage a front half shaft from the transaxle engine on a 98 RAV4 can be found here. To disengage a front wheel from the transaxle engine, the whole half shaft must be removed. Removing a front half shaft requires a lot more work 
than just crawling underneath and unbolting one of the drive shafts. As pointed out here, removal of the front CV axles is not done from underneath. And it's not a simple unbolting job. To remove each CV axle, the car must be raised, the front wheels removed, the rotor, caliper, and axle nut must all be removed, the lower ball joints need to be unbolted, then a ball joint separator used to free the ball point from the hub carrier. The hub then has to be unbolted from the hub carrier, and then with some tugging, the axle can be pulled out. The process needs to be done on each side of the car, and if the car is to be rolled, the front hubs and ball points refitted, and then the wheels reinstalled. If all goes well, the job can be done in two to three hours. If things are rusty, it can take up to four hours on each side. That sounds like a car I need to get because I can park it anywhere. They wouldn't be able to tow it. <laughs> no, but check this out, though. Well, they'd probably just tow it because they have that disclaimer that they're not responsible for damage. So they'd probably just wreck the vehicle. Because if you tow it with the wheels locked, it's going to grind and break everything, but they don't care. Is that why it's called a wrecker? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm guessing it's called a wrecker because they usually tow wrecks. But yes, in your uh, in your situation, they can make it a, they can make it a wreck by telling it. But <laughs> yeah, no. So do you get the point now? So even even if so, he couldn't have he couldn't have just done it real quick. We're talking it could take up to four hours per side. With and you need a lot of tools. You don't just climb under and just unbolt real quick. Boom, boom. So it just can't be done. So there's more here too. Notwithstanding the above, a 1999 Toyota Rav4 doesn't have enough clearance to allow someone to crawl underneath and remove a, a front half shaft. A four-door 1999 Toyota RAV4's ground clearance is only 7.5 inches, thereby making it impossible to crawl under and work. There simply was not enough time to disengage both front half shafts from the transaxle engine. According to crime scene logs, the wrecker who crawled underneath and unbolted one drive shaft to disengage both front wheels arrived at Avery Salvage Yard at 1908 hours. At 1908 hours. Yeah, so that's like late. It's, it's dark and, you know what I mean? It's dark by like 5 o'clock at that time in October. What's that, 7? Yeah, that's after 7, 7 p.m. Yeah. And departed at 2026 20, hours. So, yeah, he was only there for... Well, he got there at 7, uh, 7.08? Yeah. So, like an hour, like an hour and 20 or whatever. Yeah, so he was there an hour, yeah, a little over an hour. So, notwithstanding the clearance and technical consideration or miscellaneous time lost not working on the vehicle, because obviously he didn't just show up and jump under the vehicle, <laughs> the wrecker only had, at most, 78 minutes to disengage both front wheels as would be required by the scenario described by Mr. Ertle. And the vehicle would have to be lifted to do that. So how much, yeah. So this looks like an impossible scenario. Regardless of whether it was, of which type of, yeah, regardless of whether it was four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. That's why they thought ahead and did it beforehand. <laughs> or maybe that's how it got there. Like, how else would the car have gotten there? Maybe it was, like, towed. No, it was. It might have been driven because remember in our previous episode we went over the neighbor saying that oh, the, yeah, yeah. car activity. I mean, who knows? But yeah, you're right. If it was towed, 
Yeah, he didn't see Toad, though. He saw cars driving at a relatively high speed. All right, so let's look at the locks. Oh, so, Maxwell, any thoughts on that? So, basically, it couldn't have been Toad the way it was described. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, there are, he's arguing that it couldn't have been Toad in or something. Yes. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty bizarre. All right, let's go on to locked steering. There is evidence the steering was locked. Exhibit 33 shows that both the steering wheel and a turn front wheel of Sam William Henry at the Averidge salvage yard shows the, the turned front wheels. Exhibit 001, 531, 130, 132, and 134 also show that the front wheels are slightly turned to the right. So are you telling me if they if they reenacted this whole thing, it would prove that, like if they if they got another rap war and did everything that they said that they did, and then proved something like the car got broken or some shit like that, like it would prove that it it's not the same vehicle. Is that is that what the point is? Possibly, or the vehicle was opened and they did have a key the whole time because that would solve that problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because okay, so they're trying to prove that. The, the lie with the do uh, locked doors and stuff. Well, when you stack so many lies on top of each other, it's kind of hard to dissect, right? Because we don't really know what's going on because, yeah, they could have had a vehicle or it's not Teresa's vehicle. I mean, we really don't know. Or it is Teresa's vehicle at the crime lab, but not at the south. We, we just, there's so much we don't know. Gotcha. And then, of course, at the crime lab, the photos at the crime lab, the wheels are not turned. They're perfectly straight. In the salvage yard, they're turned slightly to the right. Yo, wasn't there something about, like, a key being made? I think yeah, I Yeah, we went that. over that. Yeah, we did go over that, and the timeline was kind of bizarre. So that pointed to the key they found might have not been Hallback's key, and they had an, a key earlier than that, than that key found. Yeah, there's a lot of strangeness with that. If you haven't checked out our other episodes in the Stephen Avery series, check those out. I think we went over that on Critical Conflict, one of our most popular episodes. <laughs> a lot of, lot, lot of bizarre storytelling done by Manitowoc and that, which we couldn't find help but find ridiculous and amusing. Okay, so comparing the condition of Sam William Henry at both the salvage yard and the Wisconsin Crime Lab garage, the steering wheel appears to be in the same position, turned right approximately 135 degrees with corresponding turn front wheels. I don't really see that. It looks a little straighter at the crime lab for me. Well, I can barely tell that it's slightly to the right in the, but it, at the salvage yard, it looks turned to the right a lot more, but not a lot more, but it looks more pronounced of a turn. This suggests that the steering wheel and both turn front wheels remained locked from when Sam William Henry was found at the Avery Salvage Yard to when it was delivered to the Wisconsin State Crime Lab. Unless they reenacted the wheel for whatever reason, and they got it slightly wrong. Unlocking the steering requires access to the interior of Sam William Henry and inserting a key into the ignition. If the steering on the front wheels was locked and turned to the right, and Mr. Ertl's testimony is true, then rolling Sam William Henry on its front wheels would have been very difficult. Because if the wrecker were reversing and Sam William Henry were, was leading the way with his front wheels, it would constantly be trying to turn to the right. If the wrecker were driving forwards and Sam William Henry was trailing on its front wheels, it would be difficult to tow and would be skull-dragged. That's an interesting term, skull-dragged. And wear would be evident on the front tires. 
If the steering wheel and turn front wheels were locked, Sam William Henry may not have been retrieved and placed into the covered trailer at Avery Salvage Yard, nor would it have been delivered to the Wisconsin State Crime Lab garage rolling on its front wheels as described by Mr. Ertl. This is all weird. This makes it seem like there really were two different RAV4s. Or neither one of the RAV4s is Teresa's. What do you guys think about that? Uh, so hard to say. I mean, it's just going off of what they tell us. Like, yeah, but it doesn't, doesn't make it sense. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up because it doesn't match the, the facts, doesn't match the evidence. As demonstrated at the Wisconsin State Crime Lab garage, Sam William Henry is facing the wrong way. The following is considered. There is no physical way a lifting-type record truck can approach a covered trailer and lift up the rear of Sam William Henry unless the rear end of Sam William Henry is presented at the back of the covered trailer. There is no physical way Sam William Henry with its back end lifted up and only its front wheels on the ground can be inserted into the Wisconsin State Crime Lab by a lifting type record truck rear first. There is no physical way Sam William Henry with its back end lifted up and only its front wheels on the ground can be pulled into the crime lab by a lifting type record truck rear first because either the record truck collides with the back wall of the garage or the tow truck becomes entrapped. Those are good points because it's lifted into a covered truck. Yeah, it's... Yeah, none of this makes any sense, really. Conclusion. It is possible and necessary to concede with regards to the unlikely scenario of unbolting of one front drive shaft to disengage both front wheels that Mr. Ertl may have been mistaken or misled as to how Sam William Henry was retrieved from the Avery Savage Yard by the wrecker, like you pointed out, Johnny. However, he doesn't have the time to do it both, so I don't know. Although this is unlikely given Mr. Ertl's eyewitness testimony, as what occurred limited to himself, the record operator, and the person that brought the trailer. So it looks like he's watching this go down, too. So, However, with regards to the delivery of Sam William Henry into the Wisconsin State Crime Gar Lab garage, Mr. Ertl did not describe any intermediate steps being performed by the local record between lifting Sam William Henry off the trailer and inserting it into the Wisconsin State Crime Lab garage. So, as an eyewitness to what occurred, Mr. Ertl is stuck with, quote, When we arrived in Madison, I called the local wrecker company to come and do the opposite of what the wrecker had done at the scene in Manitowoc, to lift up the back end, pull the vehicle out of the trailer, and then put it in the garage because the back wheels were still locked. Unfortunately, the defense did not produce an expert witness to refute Mr. Ertl's testimony, nor did they recognize or question Mr. Ertl about the big problems Sam William Henry exposed about his testimony. Accordingly, the findings in this post support a claim of ineffective assistance of counsel. Any automotive expert, the wrecker at the salvage yard and the local wrecker at the crime lab would be able to assist with any inquiries into this matter, the local record would be able to be traced through the crime lab records since they would have been paid for their services no less than at approximately 1.15 a.m. Mr. Ertl's testimony about a non-existent front drive shaft that can't be unbolted and the wrong-facing RAV4 contributed to the conviction of Stephen Avery. For the purposes of this post, Mr. Ertl perjured himself and his testimony is impeached.
And that is how Ertl gave Avery the shaft. <laughs> you like that pun or not? That was pretty good. Avery got shafted. Got a skull drag. <laughs> yeah, that's messed yeah, that's, up. That, that's, that's skull drag is like a gruesome, uh, how should I say, metaphor or whatever. It, it's Yeah, it's rough because, I mean, you get the picture, though. The wheel's not turning, so it's just being skull drag. Yeah, it's rough. That's rough. So the other thing that's weird, so random people on Reddit are smarter than Stephen Avery's lawyers. Because it, <laughs> seemed, it seems like any mechanic would have teared this testimony apart. I was just thinking we should call like a record company and just like uh, ask them what they think about this. That's a good idea. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> now well, we, got, uh, we should well, have a mechanic. Well, the, the, we we well, have people from the outside is like uh, they have an advantage as far as like examining. Like they're not so involved, so like they can examine more external stuff. Like you know. Here, here's the main point here, though. The, the prosecution, Ken Kratz, and all of these highly, highly moral individuals with incredible integrity that would never lie or contaminate any samples, they had to have the narrative that the RAV4 was locked. Otherwise, people would just say, oh, they just got in there and planted the evidence at the salvage yard, even though nobody saw blood at the salvage yard. So they're, they're uh, still at that point. I see. So they really, they really had to stick with the. Te they really had to stick with the narrative, this this storytelling that the Rav Four was locked, because if the Rav Four was unlocked, then we have no problems with transporting it. All these problems go away if it's unlocked and they have the key. Ah, uh, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, and they 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 really really wanted to get everyone to believe that it was locked. So even even with the the photograph showing the door open at the lab i don't know so that doesn't even prove it right there that doesn't even prove it for people that it was unlocked or what well if it was unlocked well it they did unlock it at the crime lab so they did have this whole story obviously the timeline the timeline is suspect but they really wanted to make sure everybody knew it was locked at the salvage yard because that's where it would be easy to plan Although most most corruption and planted evidence occurs in the lab, so obviously that doesn't mean they couldn't plant it in the lab, but this is Wisconsin, and Manitowoc seems to think that most people are stupid, so if they can convince everybody that it was locked at the salvage yard, somehow I guess they would think they'd be beyond suspicion. I mean, I'm trying to figure... I mean, none, none of the state's case makes any sense, as we've gone over many times, like... They leave no evidence in the bedroom, they kill her in the bedroom, then they kill her again in the garage, which might have had too many vehicles in it to even kill Hallback. I mean, none of this, while there's a bunch of neighbors next door, then they sprinkle her remains everywhere, and yet the dogs don't even alert to her remains in the burn pit. There is no fire, That we have the legend of the bonfire that we went over in so-called evidence episodes. None of, the, none of this makes any sense, so it's kind of, you know, it, do, it just really doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and they also found blood in his Pontiac. What so was that? They also found blood in his Pontiac, right? Yes. So they were going through the Pontiac, so they could have easily planted it then and there at the at the salvage yard as well. Especially with these CSI techs that don't even uh, they don't even change gloves. So. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the third part of Know Your Rev. The wheels of justice turn slowly. So. In part one, I confirmed that there was no second decoy RAV4. Uh, I wouldn't take that as a confirmation in any way because the VIN plate was tampered with. Uh, in part two, I impeached the testimony of John Ertl. That he did. Now I'll impeach Mr. Ertl's testimony again. 
break the chain of custody of Sam William Henry and reveal further perjury. Are any of us going to be shocked by this? <laughs> the wheels of justice turn slowly. Summary, Mr. Ertl did not report his activities on November 5th, leaving only his testimony as evidence. Mr. Ertl perjured himself and his testimony can be impeached. A 1999 Toyota RAV4 does not have one front drive shaft that can be unbolted. There is evidence that transmission shift select was shifted out of part. There is evidence supporting Sam William Henry was unlocked and entered at the Avery Salvage Yard. Is that when they had the tarp up and they were doing the whole circus show? <laughs> yeah, that, that was definitely that time. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ertl is a broken link in a broken chain of custody. Sam William Henry and all evidence therein is evidence that was exposed to contamination and known to be manipulated and that the opportunity did exist for the planting and tampering of evidence. Unfortunately, the defense did not produce an expert witness to refute Mr. Ertl's testimony, nor did they recognize or question Mr. Ertl about the big problems Sam William Henry exposed about his testimony. Any automotive expert, the wrecker at the salvage yard, the local wrecker at the climb lab, and all witnesses to the towing of Sam William Henry at the salvage yard would be able to assist with inquiries into this matter. Couldn't should Avery's case should just be completely thrown out due to incompetent defense. Did he have an adequate defense? Like, it seems like Buting and Strang didn't even really give him that good of a defense. It's just, it, it's, yeah, he got, he got hosed. He got shafted at his trial. Introduction, these exhibit photographs of Sam William Henry at the Avery Salvage Yard and the Crime Lab Garage present another huge problem for John Ertle in the state of Wisconsin. And these are, of course, the photographs at the Salvage Yard and at the Crime Lab. So, okay. The state of Wisconsin presented a case and witnesses testified that Sam William Henry was never opened or entered before it was processed at the crime lab. I will now demonstrate that between Pam and Nicole Sturm finding Sam William Henry on November 5th, 2005, and Sam William Henry coming to rest at the crime lab garage on November 6th, 2005, Sam William Henry was unlocked and entered. And remember, there was a discrepancy in how long it takes to transport from the salvage yard to the crime lab. Remember, we speculated they may have stopped for dinner or whatever. And remember, Ken Kratz was actually following the vehicle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he showed up. At the salvage yard, it, it's all of this is so bizarre. I mean, if they're if they're planting and staging, everything makes sense. If they're perform, if if these are all honest individuals just doing their their law enforcement duty, none of this makes any sense. It's kind of weird. The guilters just never want to logically approach any of this. So let's look at the findings. Witness testimony. It is important to establish that the following witnesses who testified at trial did have proximity to Sam William Henry at the Average Salvage Yard on November 5th, 2005. One, Pam Sturm, civilian. Two, Nicole Sturm, civilian. Three, Sergeant Jason Orth, Manitowoc Sheriff's Department. Deputy Inspector Todd Herman, Manitowoc. Julie Kramer, dog handler. Thomas Fassbender, DCI. John Ertl, crime lab. Sergeant William Tyson, Calumet. Detective Dave Remaker, Manitowoc. Ronald Graffy, Crime Lab. In total, nine out of these ten witnesses all testified to the same narrative, that Sam William Henry was always locked. 
or they did not attempt to open any doors. That's kind of weird. Wouldn't you try to um, wouldn't you try to open? I don't know. And or that to their knowledge, neither they nor any other person entered Sam William Henry. Only Mr. Graffy disagreed. The bookends of these witnesses are important. Sam William Henry transitioned sometime from being locked at the Avery Salvage Yard on November 5th under Pam and Nicole Sturm to unlocked at the Crime Lab Garage under Ronald Graffy on November 6, 2005, specifically the driver's door. There is a break somewhere in the chain of custody of Sam William Henry, and at a minimum, one of these witnesses has committed perjury. Testimony of Pam and Nicole Sturm. Pam and Nicole Sturm both testified that Sam William Henry was locked when they found it at the Average Salvage Yard on November 5, 2005. Trial transcript, February 13th, 2007, day two, page 224. Kratz, did you or your daughter Nikki attempt to determine whether or not this vehicle was open or locked? Kratz seemed pretty chummy with, with Nicole Sturm calling her Nikki right on the stand when he's talking to her mother. Even her mother calls her Nicole. Pam Sturm responds, Nicole attempted to open the doors. And Kratz is calling her Nikki. Do you guys find that weird or not? <laughs> Yeah, why is he doing that? <laughs> <laughs> this is bizarre. Kratz is a shady individual. Why? Why is he? Yeah, he's, he's he seems to be pretty chubby with with Nikki here. Even her own mother calls her Nicole in official capacity on the stand. Maxwell, do you find that weird? I I missed the the past ten seconds. <laughs> Kratz is is examining Pam and Nicole Sturm. So he's talking to Pam Sturm. Her her daughter is called Nicole. So Kratz is asking, did you or your daughter, Nikki, attempt to determine whether or not this vehicle was open or locked? Pam Stern says about her own daughter, Nicole attempted to open the doors. So Ken Kratz, this uh, sweaty, weird prosecutor who's been convicted of sex crimes, is actually calling her daughter, Nikki, uh, in court, in official capacity. He's calling her daughter, Nikki, when, she, when the mother is calling her, Nicole. Uh, okay, like by first name basis? Is that what you mean? Not exactly. He's calling her Nikki. The mother is calling her Nicole. You don't find... Oh, um, okay, okay, okay. I got it, got it, got it. I, I didn't only even, took four times. Only took four I, times. I, I, didn't, I didn't even notice, like, Nikki, because I thought Nikki was, like, a, a real name or some shit. And, uh, no, her name is Nicole with a K. So, he, but he's calling her... It's weird. He's just asking... <laughs> just straight Nikki, up like that, yeah. Nikki. <laughs> Yeah, I'm Nikki. Can I... But if her mother also called her Nikki and she always went by Nikki, that would be less suspicious. He's calling her Nikki when even her own mother is calling her Nicole. Wow. <laughs> he's, he's, he's hitting it up. That's weird. It's not like he's ever been convicted of, of being shady, but uh, Johnny Mills, what do you think? Uh, I think he thinks he's cool. So he's just Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> a cool individual. He's a all right. So he's Kratz, a cool cat. <laughs> so crazy Kratz, <laughs> mad Kratz. All right. So he, then Kratz responds, <laughs> "Did she do so with a bare hand, or did you see her doing this?" I told her to use the sleeve of her sweatshirt, but evidently she used a tissue. You know, I saw her reach in, but I'm not sure if it was. You know, I didn't exactly see the tissue. So yes, she did try the doors. 
but you will have to ask her which specific doors. Kratz says, I will do that, but if you, did you or your daughter determine whether or not the doors were opened or locked? Pam says they were all locked. Kratz says, did you or your daughter ever otherwise enter that vehicle? No. Okay, so this is February 14th now, day three, page four. Kratz says, to Nicole now, and other than taking the photographs, can you tell the jury what else you did around that vehicle? Nicole says, with a tissue, I checked all four doors to see if any of the doors were open. They were all locked, so none of the four doors were open. I did check all four doors to see if anything was open. They were all locked. Kratz then calls her Miss Sturm. You, you mentioned that you had checked the four doors. What four doors are you talking about? <laughs> Nicole says the driver's side, the front and passenger doors, and the actual passenger front and back. All four doors were locked. All four were locked. Both Pam and Nicole Sturm repeatedly testified that Nicole Sturm attempted to open all four doors on Sam William Henry, which included the driver's door, and they were locked. So let's move on to the testimony of John Ertle. Consistent with the repeated testimony of all those before him, Mr. Ertle also testified that Sam William Henry was always locked and no person entered the vehicle. February 19, 2007, day six, page 17. We couldn't get into the vehicle. All the doors were locked. Mr. Ertle also testified in elaborate detail that even when Sam William Henry was towed, and despite the best efforts of the wrecker, it was never open. Why didn't they just open it with that rod through the window? Yeah, that would make a lot of sense if they just did that. Why wouldn't they do that? Yeah, I don't know. From Stephen Avery trial transcript, February 19, 2007, day 6, page 30, Ertl states, So the wrecker operator determined that the RAV4 wasn't just going to roll, it was either in gear or it had a parking brake on. For whatever reason, it wouldn't roll on its wheels. So we went over this in the, a moment ago on how it got in. After transporting Sam William Henry to the crime lab garage in Madison, consistent with his elaborate testimony that only the front wheels rolled, Mr. Ertl added to his testimony that the rear wheels remained locked. From page 33, same day, when we arrived in, in Madison, I called the local wrecker to come and do the opposite of what the wrecker had done at the scene in Manitoulin to lift it up on the back end, pull the vehicle out of the trailer, and then put it in the garage because the back wheels were still locked. Following a long line of witnesses who all testified that Sam William Henry was always locked and not entered at the Avery Salvage Yard, Mr. Ertl is the last link in Sam William Henry's chain of custody before Mr. Graffy found the vehicle unlocked. So Exhibit 289 demonstrates a direction Sam William Henry was facing at the crime lab garage. Exhibits 290 and 293 demonstrate that the transmission shift select is in park and the handbrake is off. Notwithstanding the repeated testimony of all those before him that Sam William Henry was always locked and no person entered the vehicle, Mr. Graffy testified that the driver's door of Sam William Henry was unlocked when he found it at the Wisconsin State Crime Lab garage on November 6, 2005. February 23, 2007, day 10, page 63. Buting asks Graffy, okay, and did you, with your gloved hands, try the driver's door handle? Graffy says, yes, I did. It was locked or unlocked. The driver's door was unlocked when I got there. Maxwell, you still following? 
the driver door was unlocked. That's what Graffi's stating on the morning of November 6th. Everyone else testified, including Ertl, with the wrecker situation that it was locked. All of a sudden, Graffi shows up that morning at the crime lab and it's magically unlocked. What do we think of this? Huh. <laughs> God led them to the key. I don't know. God unlocked it? Either that or God led them to the key. But nobody even mentions a key here. <laughs> so then he says, the, yeah, the driver's door was unlocked when I got there. Okay, the other doors were locked. Yes, the other doors were locked. And that would be actually four more doors, correct, including the rear? That's correct, four doors. Now, if I understand, what you did was by opening the driver's side door, you were able to sort of reach over and with your gloves unlock the front passenger side door first, right? That's correct. I did that. And then from that location, that position on either side, front and passenger, you were able to easily reach around and unlock the rear driver and passenger side doors. That's correct. I unlocked those doors. And then you were able to open all four of those doors wide open for taking pictures and whatnot. Graffy states that is absolutely correct. So are the fingerprints all over the vehicle law enforcement fingerprints that shouldn't have been in the vehicle? which is why that has never been released and why they will never release the vehicle for testing for Kathleen to test. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Or there are fingerprints of the real killers if it wasn't law enforcement and they know who the real killer or killers are and they're just not interested for whatever reason. Or if it's some kind of CI situation where we went over this in previous episodes for Avery's 85 conviction, Gregory Allen, some people believe he was a CI, which is why, I mean, they knew he did the rape or the sexual assault on Bernstein, but they weren't interested in prosecuting him for that because he was a CI at that time and they needed him for something else at that time. Then when they no longer needed him, they didn't care if he rotted in prison. Their main goal was to get rid of Avery. So did something similar happen again in 2005 with Hallback? If they know the real killers, if, they are, if Hallback was killed, and they're just not interested in going after them because they're interested in Avery being being put away because of the $36 million lawsuit and personal grudges and all that crap. So back to vehicle spec, in the event there was no key to turn the ignition, which enables power, drive, and steering, which also requires using that key to at first open and enter the vehicle, there are a number of factors dictating how Sam William Henry could have been moved from the Avery Salvage Yard to the Wisconsin State Crime Lab garage. These include opening and entering the vehicle by other means. The automatic transmission, the drive shafts connecting the wheels to the transmission and engine, and the handbrake. The interplay between drive trains, automatic transmission, and handbrake all affect the locking or turning of wheels. From part one, it is an all-wheel drive because it is a 99 Toyota RAV4, engine number 3S2-546853, four-speed electronically controlled automatic transmission, full-time four-wheel drive. The vehicle also has a handbrake, which is a cable brake that locks the rear wheels. Mr. Graffy's testimony and exhibits 290 and 293 dictate that the handbrake was always off since apparently Sam William Henry was always locked and never entered. Without the engine running, an automatic transmission is effectively neutral in any gear except park. 
And we went over how that transmission works with the parking pole. In the case of an all-wheel drive, there can be considered three drive shafts, front left half shaft, front right half shaft, and the rear drive shaft. Each of these three shafts are independent of one another, although the rear does apply torque to both rear wheels. The only way to disengage a wheel from the transmission engine so that it may turn freely is to either take the transmission shift select out of park, or in the event that the vehicle is locked and the shift select cannot be accessed, disengaging the wheel from the transmission engine by disconnecting its drive shaft. In the case of Sam William Henry, each front half shaft, which applies torque to one front wheel only, cannot be simply unbolted. So we went over that previously as well. The rear drive shaft, which applies torque to both rear wheels, can be unbolted, which disengages both rear wheels from the transmission and engine, allowing them to turn freely. As provided in the official owner's manual, pages 169 to 170 of a 99 Toyota RAV4, the correct towing procedure in order to avoid damaging any components of the all-wheel drive automatic transmission drive trains is to permit no turning of the wheels. If towing is, this is from the manual, if towing is necessary, we recommend you to have it done by your Toyota dealer or a commercial tow truck service. In consultation with them, have your vehicle towed using either A or B diagram. So there's a two-wheel drive model where you can tow it from the rear or using a flatbed. Only when you cannot receive a towing service from a Toyota dealer or commercial tow truck service, tow your vehicle carefully in accordance with the instructions given in emergency towing in this part. So not recommended. An all-wheel drive vehicle can be towed on two or all four, four wheels for a short distance only if the automatic transmission is in neutral. If a wheel is disengaged from the transmission or engine, the transmission does not affect it, and the wheel can turn freely without causing any damage. As explained in part two, to safely tow any vehicle, it is necessary to disengage the relevant wheels from the transmission engine, otherwise they are locked, and attempting a tow will result in skull dragging and damage to the transmission engine. The state's case. In summary, the state of Wisconsin presented a case that Sam William Henry was always locked and never entered, as it claimed by every witness except Mr. Groff. One front drive shaft was unbolted, which allowed both front wheels to roll, as claimed by Mr. Ertl. The rear wheels were always lifted during towing and remained locked, according to Mr. Ertl. The transmission shift was always in park, as found by Mr. Graffy. The handbrake was always off, as found in Mr. Graffy. In part two, I demonstrated that Mr. Ertl perjured himself when he testified that Sam William Henry was retrieved because Sam William Henry does not have one front drive shaft that can be unbolted, and two, Sam William Henry came to rest in the crime lab garage facing the wrong way. For brevity, the case presented by the state of Wisconsin dictates that the front wheels did rotate because they were disengaged from the transmission engine by unbolting one front drive shaft and towing it. The rear wheels did not rotate because the transmission select was always in park. The rear wheels were always engaged to the transmission engine and the rear wheels were always lifted during towing. 
The wheels of justice. There is, in fact, a way to measure the rotation of the wheels of Sam William Henry. The tire valve stem of each wheel is unique and reliable reference demonstrating the position of each wheel at a given point in time. Exhibit 32 and 33 demonstrate the position of the left side wheels of Sam William Henry at the Avery Salvage Yard on November 5, 2005. In accordance with the case presented by the state of Wisconsin, photos of Sam William Henry at the Crime Lab Garage should reflect that the front wheels did rotate, but the rear wheels did not rotate. Oh, wow. He nailed it. The rear wheels did rotate. Oh, like, okay. So they were actually driven or, like, pushed? See that? Is that the, the thing where you, stick, like, put the air in? Yeah. Is that what that circle is? Yep. Oh, it's down there. Okay. That's pretty damning. Unless it's not the same vehicle, but. <laughs> <laughs> Maxwell, did you get it? So you see how the tire valve stems are in a different spot? Uh, yes. Yeah, the fronts are also in different spots, but that's, I guess that's normal if that was disengaged. But, or if they just had a key and put it in neutral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. a, yeah that solves all the problems okay so all four wheels have rotated this is absolutely inconsistent with Victor Ertl's testimony and the case presented by the state of Wisconsin the rotation of the rear wheels which are supposed to be locked cannot be attributed to any artifact as a result of towing because there was no resistance in the drivetrain to the rear wheels needing to be released as the car sat at the Avery salvage yard. The transmission select was allegedly always in park. The rear wheels were allegedly always engaged the transmission engine. The rear wheels were allegedly always lifted during towing. Even allowing for small sustained movements of a locked drivetrain, the rear wheels have rotated through more than 90 degrees. So it's a significant amount. So Mr. Ertl did not testify that all three drive shafts were disengaged, and obviously there was not enough time for the record to do that. Disengaging only the front wheels from the transmission engine by disconnecting their respective drive shafts does not automatically allow the rear wheels to turn freely. So in this scenario, it in fact does not matter whether it was a drive shaft to the front or back wheels that was disengaged at Avery Salvage Yard. Both the front and back wheels show evidence that they have both turned freely. It is also not necessary in the event that all four wheels have turned freely for all four wheels to demonstrate the exact same degree of rotation. The differentials for the front and back wheels are independent and allow for the wheels to turn at different speeds or distances. Towing Sam William Henry from where it was located at the salvage yard to where it was loaded into the enclosed trailer required at least one sweeping 90-degree turn and some maneuvering. Some further maneuvering was also required at the garage. If the rear wheels of Sam William Henry were lifted even once off the ground at Avery Salvage Yard or the garage, the front and back wheels would certainly have covered different distances. Here's another point. If they are different RAV4s, they could have just swapped the tires on them, right? And then they would, the tire stems would be in different positions as well. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, the dirt in the tires, though, kind of look like they match up. No, no, that's what I mean. 
They uh, oh yeah the, yeah, the, yeah. The so RAV4, it, yeah. If the yeah if the Rav Four at the crime lab was a different Rav Four, and they put the tires that were on the Rav Four in the in the salvage yard on the ones in the crime lab, they would have different stem positions. Maxwell, did you follow that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I completely missed it. What happened? Ah, uh, Maxwell Army. If it was a different Rav Four, they could have switched the tires. Like oh, okay. some, some people think they had her real Rav Four at the crime lab. The decoy was at the salvage yard, and they put the wheels from the one in the salvage yard on the, the tires and wheels on the real one in the crime lab. Like, they swapped them after they towed the decoy to the crime lab. And uh, then maybe, maybe they destroyed both, and no RAV4s exist right now to even be tested by Zellner to cover all this up. Oh, yeah. I haven't really uh, I haven't heard anything about the RAV4. Like, is it, is it put away somewhere? Or like, or we don't know. Locked away? We don't know. There's, they're just not letting her retest anything. You know, if they were innocent and this was a legitimate investigation with legitimate evidence, why wouldn't they let her test it? I don't know. Testing. Uh, I completely forgot about that. She's not allowed to test anything. Uh, Johnny, do you recall if they allowed her to test anything at all? That I, I do not know. I don't remember I don't, them. I don't she think wanted, so. she wanted to retest everything, like more accurate DNA testing, retest with the Rav Four. I don't think they let her do anything at all. So, testing the testimony of John Ertle. So, in his field response report dated November 23rd, 2005, the only documents of his activity from November 6th to November 8th, 2005, Mr. Ertle's activities on November 5th include the retrieval and delivery of Sam William Henry are omitted from this report. The only evidence of, and how convenient as well, right? The only evidence available of how Mr. Ertle moved Sam William Henry is his own impeached testimony. The evidence does not support that Sam William Henry was moved twice by a wrecker truck lifting the rear wheels off the ground because they are locked and rolling Sam William Henry on its own front wheels away from where it was found at the Avery Salvage Yard into and out of a covered trailer and into the garage. There is no possible way that one front drive shaft was unbolted to allow both front wheels to turn freely and that the rear wheels were always locked and lifted during towing results in the evidence that the rear wheels turned freely or in fact both the front and back wheels turned freely as explained in part two mr ertle testified that the record disengaged the front wheels and that one drive shaft unbolted both obviously this is not true and he and there was only 58 minutes according to page 107 and the record was operating condition of darkness rain and mud and only had 58 minutes and didn't have the ground clearance to remove both front half shafts. There is only one possible way to explain how all four wheels could have been disengaged from the transmission and engine, so all four wheels could rotate and roll freely. It is well established that the driver's side door of Sam William Henry was opened at some stage. The position of the wheels as they came to rest in the crime lab garage predates any key that may have been made by the crime lab for the purpose of opening the driver's door before Mr. Graffy found the vehicle on November 6th. Therefore, it can be established that Sam William Henry was unlocked and entered sometime before it came to rest at the Wisconsin State Crime Lab garage at approximately oh, 0200 hours on November 6, 2005, for the purpose at minimum of shifting the transmission shift select out of park so that all four wheels could turn freely. Additional observations, Sam William Henry was open and entered, and the transmission shift select put into neutral. There is absolutely no reason to unbolt any drive shafts in order to tow the vehicle. 
Regarding whether Sam William Henry was opened and entered at the Avery Salvage Yard, the crime lab garage, or both, the following is considered. All witnesses who testified as to approaching Sam William Henry from the car crusher did so by using the gravel road on the eastern side of the nearby pond, Exhibit 161-162, and Mr. Ertle testified the wrecker's tow truck took the same route in reverse, Exhibit 96, there is much less room for a tow truck to maneuver via the opposite or western side of the pond. Exhibit 130 demonstrates established saplings immediately in front of Sam William Henry obstructing its retrieval from the front. There is not enough room for a tow truck to snatch Sam William Henry out from behind those saplings. The angle required to avoid the front left of the vehicle colliding with the saplings resulting in the significant risk of the tow truck colliding with wrecks on the opposite side of the gravel path or even falling into the pond. Therefore, it is reasonable to conclude that if the front wheels were not disengaged from the transmission or engine, Mr. Ertle's testimony to such is impeached, then the only way Sam William Henry can be towed along the gravel path on the eastern side of the pond toward the car crusher without damaging any of the drivetrain components is to shift the transmission into neutral and to tow Sam William Henry on two or four wheels for the short distance to the covered trailer, the locked steering to the right in this scenario is of little consequence as Sam William Henry is being pulled in reverse. Sam William Henry merely acts as a trailer and follows the tow truck. Exhibit 290, 292, and 293, and Exhibit 293 Colhane version, show evidence of vegetation and debris that may originate from the Avery Salvage Yard, more specifically the debris that was used to conceal Sam William Henry. I don't specifically see that, but if that's true, then maybe th there wasn't a decoy vehicle unless the other, if Teresa Hallback's real vehicle was also around trees or vege vegetation, which in that area either on the uh, Radon's Quarry or the Manitowoc property, there's trees and all that stuff there too, so it's not, that doesn't really tell us much. Vegetation and debris in both sides of the vehicle indicate activity in and out of the car by one person on both sides, or at least two people on respective sides, on and under the seats is unlikely to have been carried into the vehicle from a source such as shoes, does not find its way into open doors and an overhead source unless the doors are open for a prolonged period of time, and or there is a concentration of an overhead source and a reason for it to be falling into those open doors, i.e. the weight of a tarp hanging over and breaking off pieces of concealment debris removed from Sam William Henry, as with all items, should have been stored as evidence. It can be tested and traced to a source in some circumstances. So there's like pieces of trees, needles, stuff like that. What do you think? Is that good enough? Mm. Said there's needles in the car? That's Not like from pine needles or from tree leaves. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. I see her car. What was that? Her car is like really dirty, messy, like dirt inside too. So did they have the, they had the, the doors open under the tarp because they didn't want anybody to see that the doors were open? Huh. Is that the conclusion here, Maxwell? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how the needles got in. I mean, or it could have been from a previous location. Who says that's directly from Stephen Avery's salvage yard? 
We really don't. Yeah. It's, in exhibit 289, there is an anomaly in the mud pattern on the driver's door consistent with a person stepping into or rubbing their leg against the chassis from a narrow space between two cars reaching across to access the transmission shift select. So this guy is saying if the door was open, someone reaching in to shift to neutral would have had to place their leg on the edge of the bottom of the frame, which would cause an indent and rub off some dirt and mud. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> Check out that picture. Exhibit yeah, that. yeah, that's that's interesting. Maxwell, you think that's what it was? <laughs> you see that little indent in the dust mud pattern? Yeah, what about it? <laughs> if the door was open, someone could have leaned their leg to, to put pressure which would have rubbed off some of that mud and dirt. So if the transmission shift select was ever shifted into neutral, it had to be shifted back into park before Mr. Graffy photographed it November 6th. The only known potential witnesses to the delivery of Sam William Henry at the Crime Lab garage are Mr. Ertle, Mr. Zhang, Mr. Mersberger in the covered trailer, and the local wrecker. Only Mr. Ertl gave testimony, so other, all these other people did not testify. Of the 10 witnesses listed at the start of the post, only Mr. Ertl, who was responsible for Sam William Henry at the relevant time, had a reason to unlock and enter Sam William Henry in order to shift the transmission shift select into neutral. It is unknown whether Sam William Henry was already unlocked before Mr. Ertl had a reason to enter the vehicle. Although it is noted that of the eight witnesses who had proximity to Sam William Henry before Mr. Ertl, all eight testified that Sam William Henry was always locked or they did not attempt to open any doors and or that to their knowledge, neither they nor any other person entered Sam William Henry. Regarding how the driver's door of Sam William Henry was opened by a key or other means, the following is considered. In part one, I established that the vehicle specs of Sam William Henry dictate that the vehicle has key power locks. A key unlocking the driver door with a connected battery will unlock all four doors and the rear cargo door. If the battery is disconnected, then a key opening the driver's door will not unlock all other doors. A Slim Jim or equivalent device used on the driver's door will only unlock that door. Police and wreckers are taught how to and carry tools for opening locked vehicles without a key. If planters held the master key in their possession, that is the key that would have been found on Stephen Avery's bedroom floor. When and how the sub-key came into the possession of planters and whether they or someone they knew had access to Sam William Henry on November 5th, 2005 is not known. Conclusion. Mr. Ertle is a demonstrable broken link in a broken chain of custody who perjured himself when he testified about Sam William Henry. Whether or not other witnesses or someone they know opened and entered Sam William Henry before Mr. Ertle is not yet known. That is a line of inquiry that Mr. Ertle can assist with. Unfortunately, the defense did not produce an expert witness to refute Mr. Ertle's testimony, nor did they recognize or question Mr. Ertle about the big problems Sam William Henry exposed about his testimony. Accordingly, the findings in this post support a claim of ineffective assistance of counsel.
any automotive expert, the wrecker at Avery Savage Yard, the local record at the crime lab, and all witnesses to the towing of Sam William Henry at the Avery Savage Yard would be able to assist with any inquiries into this matter. This post demonstrates that Sam William Henry and all evidence therein is evidence that was exposed to contamination and known to be manipulated. And the opportunity did exist for planting and tampering of evidence. The state of Wisconsin and its witnesses deliberately withheld or obfuscated potentially exculpatory evidence for Stephen Avery. Locating Sam William Henry at the Avery Salvage Yard led to the execution of search warrants that led to the collection of further evidence that was used for the prosecution of Stephen Avery. Sam William Henry may yet prove to be a poisoned chalice. The wheels of justice turn slowly but grind exceedingly fine. So that was very curious, was it not? Very, 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 very weird. Yeah, there's a bunch of mechanics and automotive techs that actually chimed in here. They all say that disconnecting an actual shaft to move a car is a pain in the butt. And the Toyota had a splined axle held in place with a snap ring. So, it re so disconnecting the axle from the transmission side requires to move the axle outward. So then you need to remove the wheel and the tire, disconnect the sway bar link and the lower ball joint. And then you have to remove the axle <laughs> because there's not enough room to rotate it without hitting the transmission or subframe. And then all of that needs to be reassembled back again in order to move it for towing. <laughs> and it takes longer than an hour just to move one axle. So most, most. So most vehicles will be skull dragged because they can't, they can't tow it and ruin the car. Or if they just put it, they would have to just put it on a flatbed. Because you still can, have to get skull dragged into the, the Yeah, that, I mean, that's not that bad. That's a couple feet. I don't know if that would cause extensive damage as opposed to extensive weight on the wheels. But yeah, so what do we think here? We actually didn't get to the battery issues, and there's actually a couple more issues and mine shocks. There are severe mine shocks coming with information on exactly how the RAV4 was discovered that we have not gone over yet that could be critical in exposing this fiasco of plantings, cover-ups, and conspiracies. Any final thoughts on these issues that have now been exposed? Regarding the towing of the Rav Four, once the once the uh, when is Zellner going up? What do you mean? Um, aren't they? She's still trying, right? Like she's yeah, uh, yeah. No, they're moving. They're moving. They're constantly. Uh, they're so constantly. is this is this part of her plan or like? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure she knows about it now. I mean, she she's her or people people email her stuff all the time. So we'll see. I mean, she probably has even more damning stuff than this. I mean, if she does, why would she announce it publicly? So that's, we talked about that briefly before as well. She probably has a lot of damning info because she seems very sure that Avery's innocent. Another thing, like Avery was willing to take a brain fingerprint scan. Why aren't Ertl, Kratz, all the prosecutors, they should be required to do the brain fingerprint scan. Let's see who's lying and who's not. The truth is not afraid of investigation. Any final thoughts, Johnny? Uh, we're just wasting his time. <laughs> Avery's? Yeah, they got to do that brain fingerprint. That is a good idea. Yeah, they got to do that on all the prosecutors. Come on. What are they afraid <laughs> of? If they're not hiding anything, like what's going on? And they get $100,000 if they actually lie and beat it because nobody's collected that. There are people, there are detractors 
of brain fingerprint scanning. We actually are going to do a dedicated episode on brain fingerprint scanning because it's it's super interesting. There's a lot of misconceptions about it. It has been admitted in court because it's based on actual science and proven scientific experiments and data. So we hope you enjoyed another edition of Mindshock True Crime in the Stephen Allen Avery series. If you like the podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Just check the link in the description. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Feel free to share the podcast across social media platforms. Any questions, thoughts, comments, theories, criticisms, feel free to leave them in the comments section. Make sure to like our Facebook page. You can also check us out Twitter, Reddit, Patreon. This is Bruce McGuire signing off. And that's what Paris and Johnny Mills. We'll catch you guys next time.